Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's episode three. I'm feeling good. This is the Luke Turner Podcast. And today's episode will be with Sinead Pavlovsky, a good friend of mine who is studying psychology. Always a very interesting topic. And we delved a little bit into social media and the effects that it's having on people. Uh, Eating disorders and how that ties into sense of self and social media presence. And a little bit into how to maintain a social media account in the modern world without some of the drawbacks or the negative sides. So this is a very insightful topic. And without further ado, here's Sinead Pavlovsky. Well, Sinead, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I thought maybe we could start by you going over a little bit about your background Mm -hmm. and the things that you're interested in and focused on at the moment. Yeah. So in terms of um, my educational background, I'm doing a Bachelor of Psychology um, at Macquarie University. Um, I'm in my third year. Um, And in terms of interests, um, it's still something I'm trying to figure out bit of everything at the moment. I'm sort of dipping my feet into all kinds of ideas and interests. Um, But in terms of my hope for where I will go with my course, um, I'd like to get into honours and masters and hopefully be a psychologist, probably clinical psychologist, um, which kind of engulfs all kinds of things. So very competitive uh, field to get into. Yes. um, But very virtuous one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm going to succeed or not, but um, I'm, there is pathways if it doesn't work out. But um, I think I just want to help people and do something good in the world, have a purpose. Nice. Yeah. Definitely a good goal. Yeah, I Thank like you. that a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess on you know helping people, mm. um, one of the things that we were sort of planning on talking about today is social media. Yeah. Um, so this is something that I take it you've been thinking a little bit about. Um, and I've certainly been thinking about it for a little while as well. Um, how would you say social media is affecting people's sense of self or their, their body image, um, in 2022? Yeah, well, I think it's a quite an interesting topic. There's definitely a lot, um, of different things that are affecting our society in both positive and negative ways. Um, but in terms of, I mean, what, what I've kind of been thinking about is mainly body image and the way that um, social media is affecting um, the way that we perceive ourselves. Um, you know, the influences on Instagram and the people who are sending certain messages aren't necessarily doing it in the right ways, although there are definitely quite a few that are trying to advocate for positive body image and stuff like that. Um, But these people are very popular and very influential and um, especially um, adolescents and young adults, they're definitely following them as inspirations and very much, I guess, replicating their life or at least trying to. And my question is sort of how um, is that affecting their mental health and how is that affecting um just their development in general and is it the right thing like yeah there's a lot that plays into it i think Mm. yeah for sure and i suppose this is a problem that in some ways 
our society hasn't had to deal with before. Yeah. Uh, before the advent of mobile phones and mm. technology being available in such a large scale. Mm. Um, as you were saying that, I was sort of thinking, um, you know, teenagers and adolescents have always been insecure and impressionable. It's mm. kind of just um, how it's always been. But I suppose the media uh, that people have consumed in the last 50 years or so has been very different mm. um, in that it's not available all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have to watch TV yep. at night or whatever and whatever happened to be on, even if it was bad for your perception of your body image or whatever, it was just you didn't choose it. Right? Exactly. I think that's the biggest difference is the amount that we're actually being um, sort of like the amount that we're consuming. Um, you know, of course we had media, TV, magazines that were sort of s- sending similar messages um, but it's just the access that we have to it now. You can pick up your phone, um, you go onto these apps which are made to be addictive and you're just being consumed by the messages that it's sort of portraying. I think that's the biggest difference is the amount of time that people are spending on it. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I, I suppose another aspect is even though people are consciously, well, we say consciously mm-hmm. choosing to pick up their phone, Yeah. Um, you know, at a certain point, it does become more of a compulsion to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and the delivery of notifications to your phone, even exactly. when you didn't want to be using that phone necessarily or you, you weren't thinking about it, mm-hmm. maybe you were actually just in the middle of something enjoying your life um, and you were disrupted by that. Exactly. And th- that can be said of technology and phones more generally, but I think in particular for social media, if you're a person who your body image or your sense of self is reliant mm. on these things, these constant disruptions, they tend to overwhelm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it just, it really interrupts people's flow. Um, it's just this constant reminder that you're not good enough. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, you're definitely right. I think it's the social interaction Um as you were saying, like the notifications you get, um, the anticipation of a like on a photo or some sort of validation, um, that's what sort of differentiates what the media was in the past few years or past decades um, to what we have now. It's because we are almost expecting and anticipating some sort of validation from other people and that is sort of what we're using now to feel like we're validated and feel like we are we have like a positive sense of self and self-esteem and confidence and um, really as much as it's it's good to get compliments, it's lovely, it's not something that people should be relying on to feel like they are good enough, you know, to feel like they are the a meeting an ideal that, you know, is quite evidently, you know, an ideal that is hard to achieve for so many people. It's almost like what is considered successful or what is an image that makes you beautiful is the hardest thing. It's like the hardest one to achieve. Like, you know, a, a slim figure for women and, you know, a V-shaped muscular figure for men. Like it's almost like they've chosen the hardest one to achieve and if you can't do it, then you're not su- successful in life and too bad. And if you're not, then you need to try and do things to fix it and then maybe you'll get there. But, like, the truth is that's not how it is and it's not how it should be. Yeah, for sure. It's it's certainly very toxic. Mm. 
So how do you think that social media and eating disorders sort of interact? Um, and by that I mean, do you think that maybe social media has increased sort of the prevalence of eating disorders? Um, and, you know, do you think it's changed the perception of them? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, there's definitely a multitude of factors that sort of play into it. Um, for example, like diet culture, um, you know, the things that we're told you can, you know, the sales that, you know, are portrayed, what, what you can buy, um, detox teas and sort of promoting um, the amount of calories you should eat in a day, what you eat in a day, like people, influencers posting like their diet for the day. Um, it plays into eating disorders because people sort of look up to these people and they think if I want to look like them, like this is what I need to eat. Um, so there's that and then there's also, I guess, just the social pressures to sort of feel like you're good enough um, and a very much cliche um, portrayal of what your body should look like. It's all kind of the same thing. Um, so when you're seeing it constantly and um, you're looking at who is popular and who isn't, you kind of start to think, oh, maybe I need to look that way. Maybe I need to be that way in order to be considered worthy and to be seen. I suppose it sort of goes back a little bit to what we were saying earlier about just the pure amount of input that we're yeah. getting these days. Like perhaps, and you know, I don't know too much about this area, but perhaps always with eating disorders, I'm sure there's been some sort of idolization factor mm-hmm. um, where people are maybe developing these things as a result of wanting to be like someone else or wanting to look like someone else. But maybe that someone else was just someone at their school or, mm-hmm. you know, someone in their life or a celebrity on TV. Yeah, thing. for sure. Whereas now everyone's a celebrity on TV, Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. The, the TV is TikTok and the TV yeah. is Instagram. Um, and so everyone's trying to be perfect and then that in turn influences more people that are looking at it to think sure. like, oh, that person is something I need to be like. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's very much like a maladaptive cycle, you know, um, when you're feeling like you're in a vulnerable state and you're not feeling confident what you want is a quick fix or, you know, you want to hide. So that quick fix might be to restrict your eating or to binge eat and then purge and and vomit it up or take laxatives or, you know, to just binge eat in general. And, of course, all of these things really affect both your physical health and your mental health. Um, But I think the problem is that people are resorting to these quick fixes to get that instant feeling that, you know, they are worthy or you know that they feel comfortable in their bodies but really it's about what's going on in your mind and fixing that um otherwise it's just going to continue that's why i say it's a maladaptive cycle because at the end of the day these quick fixes they actually don't do anything they might be temporary um but they're just really detrimental in the long run so yeah absolutely and do we know much about where these disorders come from i I know we've talked about um you know the images that we're seeing on social media etc playing a big role yeah but do we know if that is like the where that sort of disorder would start or do you think that's just adding on to maybe some childhood stuff or like other stuff that's going on yeah look i think 
um, there's not really any factor that sort of says this is where it starts. Social media is, of course, like a big one that sort of interplays into um, making it worse. But um, things like your family influence and your friends, your social group, um, and there are biological factors as well. Like um, I think if you have a relative that has an eating disorder, you're four to five times more likely to develop one. So there are genetic um, influences there and also, you know, if you have parents that sort of grill into you that you need to look a certain way or they put you on a diet at a young age or, you know, they're sort of perfectionistic parents where they sort of tie value and um, the way that they – their image to other people to what you're eating and how you look, of course that's going to play into it. Um, and then socially, of course, like the people that you surround yourself with, like what are they talking about? Like are they talking about the way they look constantly? If they're talking about how they feel fat or how they, you know, need to go on a diet or how they need to go to the gym, that's going to make you feel like you need to do the same thing. And of course that's going to influence you in a very, very negative way. So I think it's a lot of different things that are coming into it and I guess it's about choosing what's healthy what's actually feeding you in a positive way and if it's not maybe you need to try and sort of reduce Mm. that influence yeah yeah I think that's a good point speaking about you know being healthy yeah um do you think that there are I mean I, I can see a a world in which people engage with social media in a in a way that's healthy. Mm. I, I feel like when, you know, Facebook first came around, it was kind of more wholesome yeah. in a way. It was like you share a status, oh, I'm mm. going to the beach, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it's great. Like yeah. you don't attach value to it. Yeah. It was less about, oh, I'm posting this so that people can tell me that I'm great, you know. Yeah. It was more just like I'm sharing an experience and yeah. I'm happy with it and – and, you know, I think almost because of the way that it's become, I feel reluctant to share much on social media um, in in that original wholesome way. I feel yeah. like it's almost hard to do that. Yeah. It's almost like it's all fabricated now and it's all just a competition of who's, you know, who's getting more likes attractive. and <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Very much. And I think, um, I, I don't know, do you see any – particular ways that people could engage with social media in the current era that would still, you know, maybe give them some of the more wholesome benefits, um, but just avoid some of the more toxic ones. Yeah, for sure. Look, I think like social media has so much potential to be great and it actually is great as well. Like there are influencers that are posting um, very much like realistic ideas of what reality is you know like um for example they're posting pose versus unposed photos of themselves edited versus unedited um and very much sort of advocating for like what an, an the reality of a real body is you know um and things like exposing editing apps you know like ones that deform your face and your body and yeah I think there's definitely I think it's about creating an awareness for what is actually going on because it's almost like we all subconsciously kind of know that what we're viewing isn't real but we all kind of just go along with it anyway and it still affects us even if we might kind of know that beneath the surface it's it's all fake 
Yeah, that, and that, that is a really strange aspect of it mm. is that everyone is playing this game mm-hmm. um, even if they have some understanding that it's all bullshit. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. Um, and I it's think it's like if other people are doing it, like you feel like you have to too because then where are you going to be? Like where is your place? Yeah. It's super complex though. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Just like all these things, definitely. Yeah. Um, we also talked a little bit about CBT, mm. so cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Um, so maybe do you want to talk just a little bit generally about CBT and then maybe we can go into how it might relate to some of these issues? Yeah. So, um, with cognitive behavioral therapy, obviously you've got the cognitive aspect of it and both the behavioral, um, in terms of, I guess, tools that people might use to, feel better maybe in terms of eating disorders um it's really about this is just one aspect of it but it's about sort of catching um the thought or the belief that you have about yourself um and just identifying it and trying to challenge it um it doesn't have to be in an aggressive way um it's not about avoiding what you're experiencing and what you're thinking it's just about questioning it and thinking how realistic is this thought um, if my friend was having the thought, what would I say to them? And if what you would say to them is that's unrealistic, then why are you telling yourself that it is realistic? Cause that's a bit of a double standard. Um, that's very much just like a basic idea of the cognitive aspect of it. There's a lot that goes into it and in providing, you know, evidence for and against for your thoughts. Um, and just sort of identifying them and just noting them because there is so many thoughts that we have that we don't even realise we're having. But it really is effective to just note them and even just by doing that, that will help you to just identify like where you are and what's realistic. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I think everyone has a set of beliefs that they've subscribed to mm. about themselves mm-hmm. um, and – a lot of the time this is an unconscious process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only when, you know, traumatic things happen or really stressful events happen that you kind of take stock of your values sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can certainly fly under the radar yeah. for a long time. And I think, like we mentioned before, with the amount of input uh, that we're getting from social media, mm-hmm. um, those beliefs are just generated again and again yeah exactly um so it's not just a case of oh i've had this belief that i'm ugly mm. since i was a kid it's like i've had this belief i was ugly for a long time plus every day it's reinforced yeah every day i'm reminded of it 100 mm. mm. and and core beliefs are such a hard thing to change you know um it definitely does take a lot of work and i think maybe that's why i'm so passionate about just this aspect of social media and body images because it does take a lot of work to get to a good place and the only way that someone can get there is by having a positive influence and I think that's why there needs to be more um you know advocacy for a positive body and appearance and life success in general yeah because I think like you mentioned before we started recording um social media is probably not going away Mm-hmm. time soon um so it seems that the best path forward is to equip ourselves with 
the knowledge about these things yeah. and um, just, I guess, yeah, knowing that we don't necessarily have to always play that game. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, like educating yourself is such like a valuable tool. Like social media can be used to learn so much. It doesn't have to be about what you're posting and um, there's – so much that you can learn not only about like body image but just like cool shit in general like um so yeah I think focusing a little bit more and giving more of your time to maybe alternatives that are outside the norm um is really healthy and if you have to cut off things that aren't serving you things that are triggering you then maybe that's the right step to take yeah because it would be a shame to throw it away entirely Mm. um I think you know we've all found cool stuff on social media um and at its core, if it's performing correctly, uh, it does serve a good purpose of keeping up with your friends. Yeah, um, sure. Especially people that live far away. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's very difficult to just constantly, like, individually contact these people. It's it's great to have a, a way to, yeah. you know, collect it all. 100%. Um, so, yeah, the more things we can do to, to that end, I think, is good. Yeah, um, I agree. Something else that you mentioned was some TikTok trends that you've seen. Yeah. In relation to body image, etc. Yeah, so I I've kind of come across a few that I <laughs> have thought were interesting. Um, very much sort of self-deprecating humor, um, which seemed to be quite normalized. Like no one's really questioning it. I've sort of gone through some of the comments, and everyone's kind of just going along. Um, some of the things I've seen are things like. <clears throat> A no, like it's like hashtag nose job check, and this hashtag has two point three billion views. Um, yes, and did you say billion? <laughs> billion, yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> um, it's a very popular trend, and it's basically where people sort of I'm I might have this a little bit wrong because I'm not too like interested in what what it is, but um, people sort of put their nose to the side of the screen, put their finger over their nose. And sort of compare what it would look like with their finger over it to their normal nose, and how it's like in quotation marks a ski scope nose, like having a perfectly straight nose. And the comments are kind of filled with, oh yeah, like it is a little bit like wonky or whatever. Um, but it's just like normalized. It's like, and then there's also like pre and post surgery as well, like of people getting nose jobs, which is I have nothing against surgery, but I feel like the problem is that a lot of people are doing it because they feel like they have to to feel beautiful um and there's also things like an hourglass challenge where people will be wearing like a baggy t-shirt and they'll uh, pull back their shirt and show like their hourglass figure which is obviously very much an idealized um figure because of the kardashians Mm. (laughs) um and like what i eat in a day is like models posting their what i eat in in a day is and often it's very much um restricted eating and Mm. i think if you have an eating disorder and you see something like that it would be super super triggering um yeah yeah. well that's an aspect i didn't really consider is seeing that kind of stimulus yeah if you have one of these disorders Mm. um Maybe did you want to go a little bit into some of the specific disorders um, that people suffer from? Sure. So there is uh, three sort of main um, types of eating disorders. Um, One is anorexia nervosa. Sorry. So it's basically about an intense fear of being fat or being overweight um, and having problems with your self-image. And um, often it 
includes like denying that you're of a low body weight. Um, and it comes with quite a lot of consequences as you'd sort of imagine because you're basically eating your your malnutrition like your mal you have no nutrition basically um and the mortality rate for people with anorexia nervosa is um five times higher than their normal peers um so you experience things like electrolyte imbalance um you lose your menstruation cycle often quite sensitive to cold temperatures um they often grow extra body hair. Um, starvation syndrome is a big thing. So it's basically um, personality, social and food changes, sort of um, having depression, apathy, tiredness, um, and then sort of a loss of uh, connection to your social life and just a f- preoccupation with food um, and things like resorting to chewing gum and um planning food and tracking your food um so that's anorexia nervosa yeah so i haven't really thought about anorexia in a little while but Mm. i sort of remember when i first learned about it um that i i sort of had a strange perception of it because you would hear these reports um of people that had it and they would look themselves in the mirror and almost quite literally see something different Mm -hmm. um and I find that to be a really interesting concept yeah. that someone else could look at you and see you one way yeah. and then almost like your eyes are playing tricks on you, yeah. uh, you you're you um, seeing something completely different. Mm. So I think um, with anorexia, people can have that. Um, but generally that's body dysmorphic disorder. So I think you can sort of have an interplay of both. Um, you don't necessarily just have to have one um, disorder. But yeah, like mentally your mind can play tricks on you um, and you your preoccupation with your flaws and your defects, which um, generally other people can't see, um, can have that effect. Although I haven't really done enough research into it to sort of understand how that works like neurologically. Um, but I know that, yeah, it definitely is a thing. So... Yeah, 100%. And then we have bulimia nervosa, which is um, also an obsession with sort of being overweight. Um, But generally people with bulimia don't always appear like they're underweight. They can be underweight or even overweight. Um, It's basically just when they eat large and large amounts of food very um, frequently, like they might have around 4,800 calories um, in one meal. And then they will try to purge their bodies of the food through things like exercise, um, taking laxatives or inducing vomiting um, to try and counteract that behaviour. And people with bulimia have a two times higher mortality rate than their peers and um, they have sort of uh, health issues like their dental enamel is damaged, they get mouth ulcers, electrolyte imbalance, Kidney failure, colon damage, lots of um, really detrimental things. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's pretty brutal. Mm. Is there much that people can do if they have these disorders? I know um, we mentioned CBT. Yeah. <clears throat> do you think that that is currently the most viable kind of way of dealing with these sorts of issues? Look, CBT is um, definitely one of the main therapies that is sort of backed by empirical evidence. Um, When it comes to eating disorders, that is the one that they recommend. 
Um, there is also SSRIs um, for bulimia. Um, apparently there is something to do with um, the serotonin in your brain genetically mm. possibly being different. However, I'm not really sure how mm. um, effective it is or how it sort of plays into it. But CBT is definitely like the gold standard treatment for eating mm. disorders. Yeah, And uh, I mean, you may not know the answer, but are there some people that specialize in eating disorders, yeah. uh, some therapists? And do you have any idea how that might look in a therapy setting? Like, do you think they would have different techniques? Yeah, I'm sure they would. Um, I'd say it would be more of like a structured, planned um, and obviously long-term process um, because they do say that um, having an eating disorder is one of the hardest um, disorders to treat. Um, in terms of how it would look, I don't really have the steps with me, but um, it would very much involve both the cognitive aspect that I mentioned before but also the behavioural and um Probably mm. log, logging behaviours and um, sort of maybe trying to eat a bit more food in one day for anorexia and mm -hmm. logging it and making that an achievement. Yep. Um, because really it's about exposing yourself to things that you're scared of like encountering and realising that it's okay and mm. like developing that trust with yourself that you're not going to die, you're not going to experiencing experience what you think you might experience and mm. just sort of coming back to reality. But yeah, in terms of the proper steps, it's still something that I'm not super, super educated on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, what you said though is really valuable uh, in that having a structured way of looking at your behaviors mm. from an outside party, especially if you're actually tracking these things and writing them down, yeah. it tends to kind of zoom out yep. your brain a bit. Um, where sure. instead of the day-to-day -day being in the throes of anxiety or um, just controlled by whatever thoughts and moods are coming up, you kind of get a longer-term idea of how you're feeling in a given week or a given month yeah, and sure. the trends that you're seeing mm -hmm. and then maybe how that correlates to how many calories you're eating, for example. For sure. And so for some people, I'm sure if you see the data improving – in front of your eyes, mm -hmm. you say, oh, I, I ate a healthy amount on this day and I felt better and, yeah. you know, that trend continued for weeks or months. Um, I suppose that, that that would be quite effective. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, and one of the biggest things is the denial of having an eating disorder and I think having someone else who is trained in what they're doing to sort of be someone that you can trust and sort of give you that guidance and advice is probably helpful as well. Although I think it's very much independent when it comes to um, eating disorders. But yeah, just um, I guess that guidance on sort of not avoiding sort of focusing quite heavily on the calories and um, yeah, just it's, it's really just about um, the cognitive and behavioural aspect of just accepting um, what is and, and trusting that you'll be fine. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about today, Sinead? Um, <clears throat> I think just to sort of finish off, um, just a reminder that your appearance is not a measure of self-worth. Um, in terms of um, social media and influences, we don't all have like the time and the money to – adhere to the ideals that they the influencers do and um you're not alone and 
you don't have to be this ideal and there is a lot more value in things other than your appearance. Maybe focusing more on um, lifting people up and um, lifting yourself up and educating yourself in other ways and um, finding value in life from things that are going to be more sustainable and long-term. Um, and, yeah, just noting noting when maybe you have an unhealthy behaviour and just even jotting it down and saying, like, is there another way that I could approach this? Um, and I guess trying to be that kind of person for your friends as well, like just trying to uh, set boundaries and say, I don't want to talk about this, I want to focus on something more healthy or reminding them that they're more than just their appearance. Yeah, little things like that. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Sinead today. And we'll be sure to cover more psychology topics in future. Uh, we've got some exciting episodes coming up soon. So stay tuned. Bye for now.